so I hope you're not too terribly disappointed. <laughs> I know you were all expecting Bill to be here today. Um, uh, there have been lots of logistics and, and issues with the move. I don't know if you're aware, but a tropical depression came through over the top of New Orleans, kind of stayed there for a little while, and the remnants of that rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. So moving company issues uh, have been... Um, Big, let's just say the least. So we've been on the phone back and forth all week long and trying to re-coordinate and replan all of that. And uh, moving company kept being delayed, and not only for him but all the people that uh, were were supposed to be moving that that week, I guess. And finally on Friday, uh, or actually on Thursday, they told him we will be there in the morning no matter what, uh, rain or shine. And they were Friday morning. They moved all of his stuff in the soaking pouring down rain. So we're hoping his stuff is still good when he gets here. Um, but all, all of that aside, we, uh, additionally, he, f- he found out on, on Friday that for the closing of his house, um, they both needed to be present and things like that. Uh, it, some things got changed in that. And so uh, he's got to be there on Monday to sign uh, the closing on the sale of his house down there. So we tried every possible way to get him here today. As a matter of fact, at one point, uh, he desperately, by the way, wants to be here as well. But at one point, he said, I'm just going to drive up on Saturday, preach, drive back on Sunday, sign on the closing, and then drive back on Monday. And we were like, okay, Bill, no, we're not going to let you do that. Um, so th- there were, that's just one of the plans that we had this week. Um, there were several different ways that we tried to get him here getting um, U-Hauls and rental cars and things were impossible as well. So lots of that going on. And, and so what we decided to do is punt one week. Um, so he'll be, I think, driving up probably tomorrow afternoon, evening after the closing uh, of their house. So we look forward uh, to having him here. It's okay for you to be disappointed. Um, I'm, I'm occasionally disappointed in myself too. Um, so we can all be disappointed together that Bill is not preaching and I am. So, um, but what I want to do, as I thought about this as the week went along, and finally on, on Friday the final decision was made that uh, he was not going to be able to, we just weren't going to be able to work it out and get him here and, and that I was going to preach. And so what I, what I started thinking was um, there's something I think that elders have been remiss in doing. Uh, so this week gives us an opportunity to kind of do that. Um, we were really good about calling the church to pray for us as elders as we were searching for uh, the individual that God was setting apart and calling to come be our next lead teaching elder. Um, and, and we were really good about asking you to, to pray for us throughout that process and pray for the man of God's choosing. What we've not done, I think, is since we've uh, understood God's purpose and God's will in the fact that Bill Mogzig is the guy coming, and we've called him here. We've not done a good job of coming back and rallying around you and saying, pray for Bill as he starts his ministry here. And so what I would like to do, since we're already planned to take a break from the Gospel of John, which we've been going through the Gospel of John, uh, we'd already planned to take a break from the Gospel of John today. And so uh, what I'm going to do is take this opportunity to call you the church to pray for Bill and Mindy and his boys, but particularly for Bill and the elders. 
it's an awkward kind of sermon to preach because I'm an elder and I'm saying pray for me and all of these things. But really, I want to focus on let's pray for Bill. I'm calling you as the church, not only today, but to pray for Bill's ministry among us and for us as elders as we lead you um, faithfully in the Lord. And so if you take notes, then I've got six things that uh, I'd like for you to write down. If you don't take notes, I, I would really like for you to just take a note on these six things so you can be rem- reminded of what to pray uh, for Bill and the elders. And I'll give you those six things, and then we'll look at that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. The six things are this. The minister's joy, the minister's life, the minister's charge, the minister's message, the minister's goal, and the minister's strength. So his joy, his life, his charge, his message, his goal, and his strength. Those are the six things that this morning I see in Colossians chapter 24, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, that we as a church ought to commit ourselves to praying for, for Bill and for your elders in general as well. And I feel like, for those of you that don't know my, my background, my history, I feel like maybe I am uniquely positioned to be able to bring a message like this. Um, for those who don't know, I did pastor a church here in this community for 10 years. In the tradition that I was in, there was really one key senior pastor, right? And, and there wasn't a plurality of elders like we have here. And so the, the senior pastor carries a lot of the weight of the ministry. Um, and so I think God may have positioned me well bring a sermon like this to call you to pray for the minister's joy, life, charge, message, goal, and strength. Because I have a unique perspective on what it feels like and means to be a senior pastor, that is one who is leading the church vocationally. But now I can look from the other perspective, being someone who is secularly employed full-time and, and doing eldership um, on top of that instead of this being my job. So I see this from kind of both sides. And so I can hopefully call you to pray in a way that is that is faithful today. It'll, it'll be awkward at times because of calling you to pray for me too, but that's okay. So in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in, the, in Christ's afflictions. Let me read that again since I stuttered over it. I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, 
but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. So in this text, I I want to call you the church and me as well to come around Bill, Mindy, and their boys as they move their family uh, up to this area, into this community, and start ministry among us and to us, that we could pray for the minister's joy, the minister's life, the minister's charge, the minister's message, the minister's goal, and the minister's strength. So let's look at it together. In verse 24, Paul says, now I rejoice. Well, It's critical that we understand that in this text, Paul begins this section of of his letter with the fact that he admits that he is rejoicing, that he rejoices. And so I want you to understand that ministry is something that is joyful. Before I say anything else this morning, I want you to know that, that carrying out the work of Christ and the labor of love that is ministry is something that ought to bring joy to the minister. And fill the life of the minister with deep abiding joy and satisfaction. Now, it's not easy. It's hard. But it is joyful. And so I, pr- I ask that you, the church, first and foremost, pray that Bill, as he ministers among us, and we as elders, as we minister among you, would have joy in this ministry. Now, Paul quickly tells us why it's hard, that it's hard. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. This is what's awkward when you're preaching about an elder saying this, and you're the elder, I I rejoice in my joy of suffering for your sake. No. Um, He understood that the suffering that he was going, that he was uh, experiencing. Now, remember who Paul is, right? Paul has been imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. Paul has been stoned for the sake of the gospel. Paul has been left for dead for the sake of the gospel. In every city where Paul went, the Jews persecuted him and wanted him dead. He knew that they wanted him dead because the truth is, Paul not only persecuted, I mean, not only was persecuted, but before his conversion, he too was the persecutor. He knew the hearts of the persecutors because he wanted to stamp out this thing called Christianity. Stood beside the way when Stephen was martyred for the sake of the gospel. He knew the hearts of the persecutors and he knew the suffering that he was undergoing was suffering for the sake and benefit of the church, the church in general, that is, for the sake and benefit of the spread of the gospel, for the sake and benefit of the growth of the kingdom, for the sake and benefit of your salvation. And so the suffering endured for the, in the work of the ministry was not 
worthy to be compared with the glory that would be revealed in him. And so he had joy in doing it. And so I ask you to pray for Bill and pray for your elders that we will have joy no matter what comes in ministry. Now, we know we live in the southeastern United States. We're probably not going to be stoned. I mean, I don't think we're going to be stoned anytime soon. But don't let that make you think that there's no suffering in ministry. Pastoral suffering in our day and age is a little different. Pastoral suffering includes the weight of the souls of the people God has called us to serve. Pastoral suffering means that as we share with you wisdom from the word as we listen to the hurts and difficulties of your life as we work through those together we don't just simply like a counselor put ourselves with some professional distance and try to give you some advice a minister fully engages in life alongside you And a minister of the gospel, by the power of the Spirit, begins, yes, to feel true empathy. That is, feel the emotional burdens and hurts that you feel. Celebrate the the things that you celebrate and walk alongside you and have deep longings for the benefit of your soul. And it is a struggle in the soul of a minister to be the physician of the Spirit, of the men of God people of God. And so I I think I'm somewhat uniquely positioned to be able to talk about that because of my 10 years of of doing that. I can understand what that feels like on the heart of the the lead teacher. And so I I just want to expose that to you for a moment as the people of God uh, gathered here locally under the banner of Summit Crossing, which is truly under the banner of Jesus Christ. I want to expose that soul pain and soul suffering that the ministers go through as a means of calling you to pray that in the midst of all of that, we would find joy in ministry. That it would not be a a work that leads to burnout, but a work that leads to ever-increasing joy. And that the weight of ministry would not be so burdensome but that we would carry the light yoke of our lord as we minister that's part of what paul says when he says i rejoice in my suffering and so let's let's move forward not only should we be praying for the minister's joy but praying for the minister's life because these things tell into one another and so we have the fact in verse 24 i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake Listen, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's sufferings or Christ's afflictions. And so, all right, let's be honest. I step back from that and I go, what in the world is Paul thinking? He just said, I fill up in my body what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Hang on. 
I thought the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was sufficient, and there was nothing lacking in that work. Why is Paul saying this? Maybe that question comes to your mind too. It certainly comes to mind when I read this text. And so what is the role of the minister here? What is he talking about? Because let me just be very forthright with you. It is true that the work of Christ on the cross, His perfect life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, all of that is perfectly sufficient to accomplish our justification. His work on the cross is perfectly sufficient to accomplish all that is needed for our salvation. All that is All that is needed for our salvation is the satisfaction of God's holy wrath, and Jesus satisfied that in his death for all those who would believe in him. And so I call on you, believe and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation because he has completed the work. You don't have to do any work to add to that to make yourself any better. Jesus is sufficient. So why does Paul say, that he fills up in his body what was lacking in the work of Christ. Well, my mind races to Isaiah chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 28. But in in Isaiah chapter 6, and I almost preached this text this morning, but in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the beautiful image of the glory of God filling the temple. And Isaiah is there, and he sees the vision of of the seraphim there. and, and, And they have six wings, with two they cover their face, with two they cover their feet, and with two they fly. And, and, and there's this picture there of the seraphim teaching the lesson that we cannot look upon the face of God's holiness or we die. Reminding us of, of, of Moses, if you will, who was hidden in the cleft of the rock as the glory of God passed before him so that Moses might see his shadow. We cannot stand in the presence of the holiness Holiness, holiness of the Lord God Almighty. We cannot stand in His presence and see His glory without dying, right? So they give us this picture of them covering their face. And then they they give us the picture of of them covering their feet because God cannot look upon our sin without pouring out wrath. And so feet in in their day, because they were so dirty from walking in dirt, were, were a symbol of the, of the dirtiness and the, and the sinfulness of mankind. And so they covered their feet. They covered their face and they covered their feet. And as you look at Isaiah's vision, as it, as it goes further, he cries out, Woe is me. So as to say, I cannot look at your face. And then he confesses, For I am a man of unclean lips, as if to say, You cannot look at my feet. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And the seraphim takes a hot ember from the, from the fire, a white hot ember, and places it on the lips of Isaiah in this vision. Why his lips? Because he just said, I am a man of unclean lips. And so this is a beautiful foreshadowing of the white, hot, burning wrath of God being poured out in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. And so it touches his lips so that his sin of unclean lips can be wiped away and purified. And so once that happens, he's covering his face. Woe is me. He's covering his feet. I live among a people of unclean lips. But yet, there's the other wings that are flying. And so you hear God say in the vision, whom shall we send? And he says, here my Lord, send me. 
once receiving forgiveness, once receiving reconciliation, once being made right before God and understanding that our God is a God of compassion and mercy and grace, he is ready to go, just like the seraphim. Cannot look at his face. He cannot look in our sin, but we are ready, flying, ready to go wherever you shall send us. And so we have that picture because what is lacking in the work of Christ is our going. You see, it is our role and our responsibility in this gospel message to deliver the message to the ends of the earth, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our families, to our enemies, to the people who are like us, to the people who are not like us, to the people who think just like we do, to the people who have a completely different worldview and maybe a different religion. It is our role to deliver the message of the gospel to those people because How will they believe if no one preaches? And so Isaiah gives us the picture of the readiness to go in proclaiming this message. And in Matthew chapter 28, of course, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. This is the resurrected Jesus. All authority has been given to me on heaven and in earth. And he says, Now go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we've been commissioned by the authority of Jesus to go and take this message to the ends of the earth. And so Paul is saying, I fill up in my body that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. That is, the sufferings of Christ are sufficient to accomplish forgiveness, but now we must preach that message to the world and let everybody know that Jesus has saved those who will believe in him through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so Paul is going and he's filling up what was lacking in the work of Christ. But I need you to understand. First, pray that we, the elders, pray that Bill will understand that we are going, always going, always proclaiming this message for the benefit of the church and for the growth of the kingdom. Let us never go astray from doing that work making sure that our work is not just building our own kingdom, but fulfilling and completing what Jesus came to do, that is proclaiming the gospel instead of proclaiming ourselves. Help us by praying for us and praying for Bill for those things. But a filling up of what is lacking in the work of Christ is really a pouring out of self. Paul says as much in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So this morning I call you to pray for the life of the minister. That is, that the life of the minister will be filled with want, as one who is pouring himself out for the sake of the church. What does this mean? Well, what I'm about to say, I'm not asking for pity. I'm not asking for attaboys or anything like that. I just need an illustration, and my life is the only life I've ever lived, and so it's the only life I have to pull from for illustrations, okay? So there have been times um, and seasons in, in mine and Brooks' life and marriage where where working full-time job and, and being an elder in a church has been quite demanding. And, and we have people in our home all the time. 
and we, we go into other people's homes all the time, and we meet with people constantly because we're pouring ourselves out for the sake of others. We're investing our lives in other people. We want to see other people overcome sin in their lives, and so we struggle with them through that sin. We want to see people discipled, so we share the Scriptures with them. We want to see people uh, redeemed from, from whatever is depressing them or bringing struggles or, or grief in their life from time to time. And so we, we meet with people, and we struggle alongside them, and we literally pour ourselves into other people for that sake, for joy. Okay? It is joy. There have been weeks on end when we had something every single night of the week, either somebody in our home or us in somebody's home or preparing a sermon or something every single night of the week, and we love it. We have joy in it, but it's a pouring out of yourself. And so pray that the life of the minister is a constant pouring out of ourselves into others for the sake of growth and for the sake of the growth of the kingdom. But it does become wearisome at times. And so pray faithfully for Bill that he, along with us, will be able to serve the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion. Work through, that is, the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion that is ministry, and to work through that with joy as we pour into others. This is the life of the minister. There have been times on the weekend, you know, after a weekend I go to work, and you know what it's like to get to work, and people say, hey, how was your weekend? And they all talk about all the fun things they did and relaxing things they did and went fishing here or they did that or the other and hung out, had a barbecue, whatever. Had a great time, relaxing. And then, inevitably, Joy, what did you do this weekend? Well, I met with this family. I don't use names, but this family struggling with this. I, you know, prepared a sermon, preached on Sunday, had a, you know, met with my missional community group. On, and, and then they already know that throughout the week I've been doing other things. And they look at me sometimes, inevitably look at me and say, you know, you, just, you bring this on yourself. You've got to take a break. You've got to rest. That's the understanding of the world. Oh, what the minister does. I sat down with a couple in their home a couple of weeks ago that I love dearly, and they pray for us, and we pray for them. It's just a beautiful relationship we've had for a long, long time, and we shared with them some things that we were going to be doing. And instead of saying, you bring this on yourself, you know, you're wiped out, he said this, that is a great way to spend your energy. That's the perspective of the church on the life of a minister. You know, we, we all have energy that we spend one way or another, just like we have money. And so I want to ask you, because it's not just a sermon for the preachers, right, and the ministers, but I want to ask, how do you spend your energy? Where do you spend your life? What are you investing in from time to time? Are you discipling others? Are you investing in Are you praying for others and all of those things? And I'm asking you today to pray for your elders and pray particularly for Bill, that our lives would be spent and poured out for the sake of others. It is the desire of ministers. I'm going to tell you, sometimes people just say, back off, back down, you're doing too much, or whatever. And, and, and the ministers, I mean, I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's just exhausting and you need to stop, right? And there is a Sabbath and all that rest, it's biblical. 
but the heart of the minister is often I can't stop. I can't stop. I love the people too dearly. I desire this for them so much. And so we pour constantly into others. And we do it, as Paul said, out of joy. Again, he says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So, again, pray that the life of the ministers will be a pouring out of ourselves and investing in others for the sake of the gospel and filled with joy. Okay, the minister's charge. In verse 25 of Colossians Chapter 1, verse 25, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I may carry out the preaching of the Word of God. I may fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. So, a couple of things here. One, the minister's charge, first and foremost, must be understood as the fact that we as ministers, Bill himself, is being set apart by God for the benefit of the church. So while I'm asking you to pray for Bill and us as elders this morning, I'm also going to ask you to pray for yourself. Because there are going to be times when we as elders do not please you. You may not be happy with some of the things we do from time to time. I was a pastor for 10 years, and I want to be honest with you, I was more aware when I didn't please people than I was when I did please people. We're not going to please you all the time. There are going to be times when you don't understand the decisions that are being made or you don't understand why the elder is calling you to repentance or admonishing you or whatever. There are going to be times when you're confused or upset with us and our leadership and disagree. I'm asking you this morning to simply understand and pray for yourself that you will submit to the fact that God has set apart elders for your benefit for the benefit of the church. And yes, we must submit ourselves to the leadership of Christ and we must pray for one another that we would follow faithfully the Word of God. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I'm asking you to pray for yourself that you would be willing to submit to the leadership of Bill and your elders even when it's difficult and you may disagree. So pray for yourself as well. We were set apart for the benefit of the church praying that you will accept and submit to the leadership even when it's hard. But the second thing here is that we are to shepherd the flock of God. The charge given to the ministers is that we are stewards of God's flock. And so pray that we as ministers and that Bill will continue to understand that we are not here building our kingdom, that we are not here establishing our name, but we are building the kingdom of God and exalting the name of Jesus. And so Paul says to the Ephesian elders as he's, as he's leaving Ephesus for the last time, beautiful text, he, he says a part of that message that he, belie- that he delivers to the Ephesian elders in, chapter, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd, the, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. So, understand this. Ministers are called not to build their own kingdom, but to 
shepherd the people of God. Pray first that we will remember who your owner is. That you belong to Jesus. And we will pray for you that you remember who your owner is. You belong to Jesus. There is joy in that. And know this, that Jesus purchased you with his lifeblood. He understood and saw the great value and worth of your soul. So valuable and so much worth that he gave his life's blood to redeem you to himself. That ought to bring you joy. That ought to remind you that we people of God are made in the image of God and that we are all of the same value and the same worth. That we are not of tiers of hierarchy of different types of people worth different things and valued differently. No, we are all in the image of God and therefore worth and valued equally in the eyes of Christ. And the price that was paid for us all is the same. The blood of Jesus. Rejoice in that. You belong to Him. Now, pray for us as your elders. Pray for us as your elders and pray for Bill particularly that we will constantly be reminded that you belong to Jesus. And that we would treat you in a manner worthy of the name of Jesus. That we would treat you in a manner worthy of the blood of Jesus. That brings a sober weight. We are constantly reminded that Jesus gave his blood for the sake of this flock. That we would carefully tread in our leadership, submitting ourselves to him constantly for your sake. Pray for us. Pray for Bill in that way. We would shepherd the flock of God, that you would be praying for him and, and, and all the other elders that we would understand and faithfully carry out this weight of the thought that you belong to Jesus purchased by his blood. That's the minister's charge. That's the stewardship that we've been given. As we look now, that which rolls right into the purpose of the minister's message. The second half of verse 25, as we just walk through the text together, the second half of verse 25, he's bestowed on us this ministry, this stewardship, and then he says that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Hear me clearly. What is the message of the elders, what is the message of the minister? It must be nothing more or less than the Word of God. So pray for Bill, pray for us as your elders, that we will constantly submit ourselves to the truth and the message that we find in the, in the Word of God. That is the revealed will and purpose of God written under His inspiration, inerrant and fully complete and sufficient for all that we need for life. And so pray that we would be constantly preaching the Word of God. Of course, Paul says this in other places too. To the young Timothy, as Paul's ending his own ministry, 
He says in 1 2 Timothy chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Okay, so it's getting heavy, right? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ, and he's going to judge the living and dead. So he's talking to the ministers here, right? And I solemnly charge you by his appearing and his kingdom. I mean, he's just piling it on, right? By the kingdom of Christ and by his coming, right? His appearing. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So first, pray for Bill and pray for us as your elders that we can stand up under this charge and stand up under this responsibility to commit ourselves to preaching the word. Let me tell you, my opinion does not matter. You don't need to know what I think about subjects. You don't need to know what I think you should do in certain situations. You don't need to know the wisdom that I have gained from this world. What you need is wisdom from the Word of God. What you need is the gospel message preached in accordance with the Word of God. And so pray for your elders and pray for Bill that we will commit ourselves to preaching this Word alone. And that we would be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean even? Well, to be ready in season, to be ready out of season, maybe it means that you're going to be asked to preach a sermon within the next two hours and you've got to be ready, right? And, and that's what it means sometimes for the minister to be ready out of season. But other times, it, it may mean this. It may mean you're going to get a phone call at a random moment and, and you're not expecting it. You don't know anything. And, and somebody is in desperate need of just some biblical counseling and care. And it's going to be a circumstance and a situation that you've never even imagined possible. I'm saying this from experience. And they're going to want to meet with you immediately, and you're going to drop everything, and you're going to say, yes, let's get together. And you're going to walk into that scenario, and you're going to sit down, and you're going to hear from them everything that's going on. And this is an unbelievable scenario you've never even imagined. And by the power of the Spirit, we must be ready in season, and yes, ready out of season, to apply biblical wisdom to that unforeseen circumstance. Pray for your elders. Pray for Bill. Because... To be ready like that means not only are we preaching the word and preparing, we must be constantly saturated with the word in ways that we don't even understand that we're being prepared for. But just constantly finding solace in the word of God, constantly finding joy in reading the word of God, constantly finding wisdom in the word of God that can be applied to life situations that we're not even aware of. And the Holy Spirit can bring to our minds things that we never dreamed or even remember reading because He's prepared us for this moment. And so, I call on you to pray for your elders. Pray for a bill that we would be saturated by the Word and ready, even out of season, to do what? To reprove and rebuke. So here's another one where you have to pray for yourself, right? Because from time to time, the message of the minister 
is a call for your personal repentance. And I'm not talking about the Sunday morning message. Sometimes that happens. But sometimes it's in your living room and mine where we're weeping over a life circumstance. And when it comes down to it, the root of the problem is your own sin, not the person you're mad at. So the minister has to lovingly, and it says here, patiently reprove and rebuke. And so pray for yourself that you would be willing to accept and submit to the word of God preached by the ministers who have been charged to steward you, even when they call for your repentance. So pray for yourself in that and pray that we would be patient. I'm going to say this um, in this text. He says patiently. It's so beautiful. With great patience and instruction. So let me, let me open the door for a minute into the heart of a minister, if I, if I may. This is where it gets awkward, right? If you preach the, ministers preach this kind of sermon in churches that are not their own, right? Um, but let me open the door to the heart of a minister for just a moment. Most ministers so desperately long for your spiritual growth, so desperately long for your joy in Christ, so desperately long for you to, to love the Lord Jesus so purely and to, to worship Him in, in majesty and to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. We so desperately long for you to get it, so to speak. And, and, and we look back on our own lives and we forget sometimes how long it took for us to be transformed. So what we hope for you in the midst of some life situation, we can see it clearly because we're instant out of season. We can see clearly what needs to happen. We can see clearly where your thinking has gone astray from biblical thinking. And we advise and we counsel and we pray for you to change your heart and to move. And you're moving slow. It takes patience on the part of the minister. When I was in college, there was a moment where I was growing, I guess, in, in understanding of some things biblically, and I had been challenged with some things in the Scriptures that I had never really thought through, and it was really just tearing me apart at my core and changing some things in my heart. But I was so stubborn, I wasn't ready to change, and so I thought I was right and the Scriptures were wrong. And, and I remember clearly I was going down a stairwell, and a good friend of mine was coming up that stairwell, and as we passed, he knew what I was dealing with, and he said, Have you submitted to the Scriptures yet? That's what he said. And I said, my heart's going to be have to going to have to be made much more pure than it is now for me to believe that. It was a two-year journey of struggling with the scriptures, of fighting against the Lord, and then just him just breaking me apart patiently, working through piece by piece, bringing me along in my slow, feeble manner. Until one day, I had fully come to understand the things that I was rejecting so long ago. And God had transformed parts of my life and sin in my life and put things away and, and beautifully brought to life some aspects of righteousness that I had rejected long before. And it was a beautiful process. And we could get into that in some other sermon series. It might be four, maybe five sermons. I don't know. But there, there's two years worth. Who knows? But... It was, it was a joyous journey, but 
But it took me two years, and sometimes ministers forget that it took us a long time to understand this one thing that we're wanting to get you to get. And after eight, nine years pastoring a church, you may be in your closet crying out, Jesus, do you even love these people? Why won't you change them? Because we're being impatient. It's not because Jesus isn't at work. It's because ministers sometimes get impatient. And so, pray that we'll be able to preach the word with patience and instructing. Sorry, that was a sidebar. Okay, so that's the minister's message. There's also the, oh man, the mystery of Christ in you. That is the minister's message. We must preach the word and we must be consistently preaching the mystery of Christ in you. And so what, what is this? This is, this is a mind-blowing concept that Jesus is in you. And we have to be reminded that Jesus is in you and that we're ministering to you and Jesus is in you. But we also have to continually and constantly remind you that you are now identified as the sons and daughters of God. That Jesus is alive in you. That Jesus lives in you. And the purchase that he made through his death, burial, and resurrection of bringing you to himself also exchanged identities so that he now lives in you. Oh, that ought to bring you great joy. And it is a mysterious concept that we are now carrying the identity of Christ. Let us be faithful to continually preach that message and see you as we see Jesus and treat one another as we might treat Jesus because Jesus is in you. But this was mysterious for Paul in a completely different way. And that is, he's talking to Gentiles, right? He's talking to Gentiles. This Messiah was supposed to come for Jews. And it wasn't supposed to be in us. He was supposed to lead us. So it's confusing that he's in us, and it's also confusing that he's in Gentiles. That's not expected. So there's this beautiful mystery of the gospel that we are now identified in Christ, not only as Jews, but as Gentiles. And all of those categories fall away. Let us be consistent to preach that message. And then what is the goal? What is the minister's goal? Verse 28, very quickly. Verse 28 of our text this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man complete in Christ. Lots packed in here, but here's the boiled down idea that I ask you to pray for Bill, pray for us as ministers of the gospel among you, that is your elders, that we would serve all people without bias. That we would see as our goal to serve every man, that is every person, if you will. That we would serve every man. That we would not have bias in our approach in ministry. And there are lots of different temptations in the minister's heart sometimes to minister with bias. Whether it's people like us or people who think like us. It's so easy to have a conversation at the dinner table with people who think just like me. 
But sometimes we have to get break outside of that and, and, and minister to those that are even more difficult to minister to the people on the streets who are different than us, the, the people who have completely different worldviews than us, the people who may be of a different religion than us. We must not have bias in carrying out the ministry of the gospel because our goal is to take the ministry to every man. We've already said it, every man is made in the image of God and worth and valued the same. And so we teach all. It is equal opportunity ministry, if you will. This is clearly made evident in Peter's experience with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Very quickly. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius has been praying... A Roman guard, by the way, far outside the expectations of the Messiah coming for them. They were the oppressors, right? So the Roman guard, and then Peter is away. And they both have visions. Peter sees a vision of a sheet, some animals on it. And he learns lessons from that about unclean and clean. And then Peter is called to go to the house of Cornelius. And this is what he says upon arrival at Cornelius' house. He says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I asked, for what reason have you sent for me? You see how Peter's whole worldview was shifted in a moment by the power of the Spirit and understood that there was no separation between Jew and Gentile. No separation between oppressed and oppressor. Let's, let's be honest. The Jews were the oppressed. The Romans were the oppressors. And he's called to go to the oppressor's house. And he goes to him and says, you are not unclean any longer in my mind because God has shown me that we are all equal. And so I call you to pray for your elders that we will constantly be reminded that everyone has the same value in the eyes of God and that we must value all people equally. Whether, whether there are differences in socioeconomic scenarios, whether there are differences in worldview scenarios, whether there are differences in race scenarios, whether there are differences in bias scenarios, whether there are enmity or friendship, we are to view all equally and therefore share the gospel and the ministry of the word equally among all peoples. So, what does Peter do? Later in that same chapter, in verse 35, he says, I most certainly understand now, after Cornelius explained to him what was going on, he says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Pray for your elders that we will be men of God who... Share the word of God equally among all men. So that, verse 28, we might present all men complete in Christ. 
so that we might present all men complete in Christ. Now, this does not necessarily mean every individual believer, right? This is an all without distinction, just like all the other alls in this text, or all the everys. This is all without distinction. We're not going to fall prey to the political sciences of our day where everybody is put in their voting blocks by categories and so that we treat everybody differently based on what we think that group might think. We are not that way. We understand that we are to equally treat all men the same and present all men together complete in Christ without distinction in category. Let us not fall prey to those things. But it's not necessarily each individual. It's just all without exclusion. And sometimes, and I pray for us in this, sometimes it is not a, a trying to sit down with every single person as needed, but the most efficient and biblical approach to ensuring that every man is presented complete before Christ, the most efficient and, and biblical approach is discipling disciple-makers. So help us by praying for us as elders, that we would be good stewards of our time and investing in the appropriate people who can be raised up to turn around and invest in others. Because I can't sit down with every single person. And we can't sit down with every single person. And so the biblical approach is for us to invest in missional community group leaders, invest in staff, invest in those people who God is raising up to Disciple others. It's in our mission statement, right? To disciple, to be disciple makers of disciple makers, right? To make disciples who make disciples. And so be patient with us as we, and pray for us as we efficiently invest our time in, in making disciples so that they can turn and minister the word of God to others. Remember, ministry is not isolated to those professionals. We are all ministers of the gospel. And so we invest, and you in turn turn around and invest in others. So I'd ask you, who are you investing in? And pray for yourself in that, that you would accept the ministry of missional community group leaders or other people as the ministry of the elders of the church being invested in you as well. And not get upset maybe if an elder is not present but someone who loves you dearly is let's accept the body of christ as the body of christ and then finally the minister's strength and we'll close the clock stopped at one second so i guess i still have one second i've had one second for probably 10 minutes now i don't know but i'm not stopping until it hits zero no just kidding The minister's strength. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to the power which mightily works within me. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Pray fervently, consistently, that your elders and Bill will work in the strength and power of God 
in us. So I'm going to tell you, once we ignore the power of God and we try to do this in our own strength, burnout is just around the corner. So continue to pray for your elders and for Bill that we will submit ourselves to the power of God at work. And when that's happening, you can joyfully receive the ministry of the elders because you know it's the power of God at work. So pray for us. Pray for Bill. If you need to hear it one more time, pray for the minister's joy. Pray for the minister's life that he would pour himself out for the benefit of the church. Pray for the minister's charge, understanding that we are stewards of God's kingdom. Pray for the minister's message that it would be the word of God. Pray for the minister's goal that it would not be tainted with bias. Pray for the minister's strength. Father, we thank you for your word. We are humbled by the opportunity to be called and set apart by you for the purpose of leading this, your church. I pray now that you would call your church seriously by the work of your spirit to fervently pray for Bill, for his family as they move, as they establish themselves as um, as leaders among us and, and understand your heart and vision for what you have in store for us Help them, O oh God, to establish themselves in ministry here in joy and the pouring out of themselves. Help them to be bound, help Bill to be bound and tethered to your word. Help us as elders to continue to hold one another accountable to those very facts and help us to be liberal with the gospel to all men. And always, Father, help us to Rest in your strength, and in your strength alone. Thank you now for your people. It's for their sake, and for the sake of your name that I pray. Amen. So, um, I want to let you know as we get ready to do the Lord's Supper in just a moment, and uh, during this last song, uh, we have decided finally that the world has come around so close to pre-COVID norms that we, we have decided it's time to pass baskets again for the offering. Um, I think it's safe to do that. And so what, we're, what you'll do is during the, during the last song, you'll see uh, baskets being passed again for offering time. You might not be prepared to do that this morning. We've always had the boxes in the back and things. But just want to let you know that, that we're going to reestablish that rhythm. And, and you may have changed your rhythm of giving during COVID. I know early on we weren't even meeting. And uh, my family has been giving online for a long, long time. And, and there are reasons that we do that as a worshipful act at the moment of paying bills each month. We, we set aside that portion that is uh, being given back. And we, we might at times even have conversations about the things we could do or things we could have if we weren't giving this. So it becomes a worshipful act of sacrifice. Uh, that's the way we've done that for a long, long time now. Um, but also, giving is an act of worship on a Sunday morning. And it's a response to what God is doing in our hearts as well. And so we've all, always had giving at the end of the service as a worshipful response. If you give online, uh, take this time when, when those baskets come by to just remember worshipfully the gift that you're giving 
to the Lord. And, and if, if you've been putting that in the box, we left the boxes back there today if you've already done that, but um, uh, just, just think about the fact that we are worshiping Jesus as we give. Um, that's all that we really desire in, in giving is that you understand it's a worshipful, worshipful sacrifice uh, that we give to Him. And so that'll be coming. You'll see that during the last song and you'll see us reestablishing that rhythm now. But at this point, uh, we have the great privilege to observe the Lord's Supper together. So in your, in your chairs, there's the cup uh, with two seals, one with uh, a piece of bread and one with a cup of juice, representing the body of Jesus, the poured out blood of Jesus for our sin. I ask you this morning, if you're a believer, as we partake of this together, that you would contemplate um, the ministry of the Word you would contemplate your elders even and prayerfully submit yourselves to them. Maybe, maybe confess times when you've not submitted or been upset and confess to Jesus those, those things. But bring yourself to a point this morning where you're understanding that you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus and now He is in you and you in Him mysteriously. Because of that, you pray for the leadership of your church that we would lead you faithfully as children of God. So come before the supper in that way this morning and recognizing that it was through his death that he purchased you and that we will continue to declare that until he comes as we anticipate his return. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, we ask that you do not observe this supper with us, but rather observe us receiving this gift of grace as we acknowledge Christ in us, as we acknowledge us being identified with Christ and joined with Him even in this supper. Let us give you that picture this morning as you just watch and observe what it means to us to receive Jesus as we stand together and worship.